a pirate makes a deal to save the lives of his crew. And then something impossible happens. And then we take a look at a terrifying case of abduction. This is the story where true crime and aliens meet. Is it possible that UFOs are kidnapping blonde women? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys, it's beautiful here, little town of Hood River. It's quite beautiful. I'm going to do a little science experiment on myself. I just bought this new stuff. You know, everyone's a little stressed nowadays. Everyone's a little stressed. Sabine, she's a big old hippie. She hangs out with a bunch of hippies. I'm not a hippie, and I don't hang out with hippies. Sabine is my only contact to the to the portal of hippiedom. Anyways, you guys, longtime listeners of the show, know how much I despise um, anything homeopathic, right? Because I think it's useless. Well, anyways, I've been stressed out a lot, and she goes... You should try this stuff. It's called Formula 303. It's um, like valerian root and passion flower and all a bunch of other stuff. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot live on the air. It's not live for you. You could be listening to this weeks from now. It's not live for you. I'm going to give it a shot. So if I start to get all uh, by the end of the episode, it's not a normal episode. It's Formula 303. And actually, it kind of makes me think this does work because it smells so terrible it smells like butt crack that's not an exaggeration if it was cheaper i would say buy some just to smell it it smells like butt crack let me take these real quick here you thought you were just going to hear about ghosts instead a live science experiment also let's give a shout out to one of our legacy patreon someone who's been supporting the show for a while mellow ruse mellow ruse thank you so much for supporting the show all this time really really appreciate it you are going to be our captain our first story, hop on board the Dead Rabbit Dreadnought Melaroos. I want you behind that big old steering wheel. We are headed off. Giant boat, battleship floating through the waters. We're leaving behind the Pacific Coast. We're going to take our time floating in our custom battleship, the Dead Rabbit Dreadnought. Having a good time. We're also going back in time to the 1300s. So, bing, we're all pirates. Oi, hoy, hoy, matey, matey, mate pirate songs doing this stuff and we're all just drinking ale and we're making parrots fight each other to see who has the privilege to sit on my shoulder spoiler alert none of them i'm not i used my grandma used to have a parrot a big giant parrot and it always chased me around the house and it would try to bite me all the time and the weirdest thing is is it tried to bite two people me and women like it hated women and then hated me but other dudes, it would be like, just like walking on on their arm and stuff like that. My grandpa would like feed it, just open up the cage and feed it. And then the bird would hop out. And one day I woke up when I was sleeping at my grandma's house. I woke up and the bird was just walking down the hallway. I'm like, no, no, he's going to attack me. Little Terminator bird. He might still be alive, actually. He was like 20 last time I saw him. Anyways, it was a drug dealer's bird. But that that's, makes the story even longer. I have to shorten it. So, we're leaving behind the intriguing story of the drug dealer's parrot who always tried to attack me and women. We're headed back to 1300s. Now, we're actually in the area between Denmark and Sweden. So, there's like a little sea there. I don't know what it's called, and I'm not going to look it up because it's not germane to the story. So, anyways, 
were in there, were flown around in this place. And Melarus was like, dude, you got to tell me what sea we're in. I'm crashing into shoals and stuff. I don't have a map. Ah, whatever. Back then, there was a group of pirates. Technically, they preferred the term privateers. They were called the Victol Brothers. It was just kind of a term. They weren't actually all brothers. The Bloods aren't a gang made up of a bunch of hemoglobin. So, you know, it's just a name. But anyways, you have this Victol Brothers. And they're out, and originally, they're like Sweden hires them to just mess with Denmark. But then eventually, the war ends. They're like, oh, we don't need your help anymore. I hope you guys go become productive citizens with the years of experience you've had destroying boats on the high seas and plundering them. Bye, Sweden government just kind of goes away. So they become pirates because they're like, what What have I spent the last five years training for? I can't go and get a job as a cook. Maybe, but I'm actually an even better pirate. So they begin committing piracy. These pirates are doing their thing and they're doing it quite successfully. Now, one of them, his name was Klaus Stortbecker. Klaus Stortbecker. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Sorry, Klaus. But this guy stands above them all. He's a German-based pirate who was running around with the Victol brothers. And his last name, Stortbecker, actually is like pirate code. Stortbecker means I can drink an entire mug of ale with one gulp. Basically, something that Paul Bunyan would be like, I don't know, that's a little, that's a little exaggerated. I can't even do that. But apparently, there was a legend that pirates... Oh, give me that ale. Gulp. Another one, barkeep. Oh, everyone's cheering in the bar. Obviously not possible. I mean, maybe if you're Grimace, and your mouth is basically three-fourths your head, then possibly. But this guy, this guy wasn't Grimace. He was a normal human being. He wasn't a purple mascot. But anyway, she took on the name Klaus Stortbecker. And everyone would be like, oh, I guess the I guess the legend is true, but that wasn't I'm not talking about him just because he was some sort of freak with a giant mouth. I'm talking about him because he became this legendary pirate, a, a level of Robin Hood fame. And back in the 1300s, I don't think he, people even knew who Robin Hood was. This guy might have predated Robin Hood. People would have been like, Robin who? They just stare at the camera with their hands like this that I'm doing that you can't see on a podcast. And then Klaus would be like, I don't know who this Robin Hood character is, but I'm the real guy. <laughs> I don't know why. Where's the, uh, the Formula 303 is kicking in. So anyways, anyways. <laughs> the point is this, is that he stole from the rich and gave to the poor. Now, some people say he didn't do that. And it would be interesting to look back. Like, if you had a time machine, that in and of itself is interesting, but... It's possible that these Robin Hood type characters, these Klaus Stortbecker type of characters, it was political, right? Like he was stealing and the people would go, oh, but you know, he gives stuff to us. And the people in power would be like, no, he's just a common thief. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Just like you have drug dealers in New York who on Christmas and Thanksgiving will provide turkeys for everyone in the neighborhood. But the other 363 days of the year, they're selling crack. So... mm, you know, I, there are stories of drug dealers, like, giving out cash for, like, electric bills and stuff like that to keep the people in their apartment complex going. But outside of that apartment complex, they're selling crack. So, you know, they're still criminals. But anyway, so Klaus Stortbecker is known really for two things. Being a Robin Hood-type character, probably, again, predating Robin Hood. I don't know how old that legend is. But um, also for how he died. And this is why Fenris218 sent this to me. So, here's the story. In 1401, Klaus 
gets caught. What happens is the, the story, because see, again, he's kind of a, he was a real person. The, the details, people question whether or not certain detail of his, of his life are accurate, but he was a real person. And what happens with mythology, with real people who have been um, turned into myths, you don't want to just have them be like, uh-oh, where did I put the keys to the boat? And then they get arrested, right? You don't want to make them look stupid. This is interesting. He gets caught because a crew member of his turns on him. A Judas-type thing. So he was a man of the people. He was doing the Lord's work by destroying these rich ships and giving the gold to the people. He's He can't fall apart on his own. The story is one of his own crew betrays him and dis- disables his rudder of his ship or the steering wheel of his ship or both. It's just something that makes the ship not move and eventually the authorities find him. Now, he goes, listen, if you let me and my men go, I have enough gold that you can make a gold chain that will go all the way around Hamburg. Er. He added that part in the end, and they're like, did you say Hamburg? Like a gold chain that goes around the province of Hamburg? Or did you say a gold chain that goes around a hamburger? And he's like, a gold chain that will completely encircle Hamburg. <laughs> they're like, you're saying hamburger. I don't want a gold chain. Every gold chain circles a hamburger. No, in real life, that was, that was a bit. But in real life, he did say, this stuff gets in real quick. In real life, he did say, I'll have a make a gold chain that encircles Hamburg, the city of Hamburg, the province, whatever it was. But anyways, they go, no dice. We're not playing that. And then they decide to chop his ship up, and they found his mast, like that big old giant wooden thing that sits in the middle of the boat that sails are attached to, and I'm sure you know what a mast is, was stuffed full of gold. I don't believe that for a second, because there's no way that boat isn't immediately tipping over in every storm possible. Oh no, slight breeze, you know, that type of thing. So anyways, I don't buy that at all. But anyways, so this is what made him famous. His legend is this. He gets caught. They don't want, he can't pay him off. They're not going to accept that. So he goes, okay, tell you what, new deal, new deal. As he's eating a hamburger, a little gold chain around it. If only they could have had all of this. Here's a new deal. You line up all of my men. There's like 73 men, right? You line up the entire crew of my ship, except for that one loser who turned me in. Line them up. And then you chop my head off. Because you're going to execute us, right? And the authorities are like, yes. Chop my head off. Every man I can walk past, after my head's been chopped off, you have to let go. The authorities are like, what? what? What in the world are you talking about? And he's like, no, 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 no. I have a, I have a plan. And they're like, yeah. I and it's funny because he's really <laughs> he's going to be condemned to death. He's not really in the position to be making deals. But the the authorities of Hamburg go, yeah, sure. You chop your head off, and they're all kind of looking at each other. We'll chop your head off. You walk, and whoever you walk past, we will spare. So the executioner gets his giant axe. Schling! Sunlight glistens along the blade. Klaus looks up at it and goes, oh, this is going to suck. And then... Cuts off Klaus's head. Now, the other 73 people in line are like, oh, well, that, I mean, I was kind of hoping he was going to be walking around, but that's kind of what I expected. He was just going to, wait, what? And then Klaus's headless body uh, staggers up, uh, hands dig into the bloody soil, pushes itself up, takes a step, and another step, and another step. Everyone's in shock. 
everyone's in complete shock. You know the person who's the most shocked is the guy who's 73rd in line. He's like, there's no way he's getting all the way over here, right? Like, it's kind of cool that he's going to spare those dudes, and I really should have jumped to the front of the line, but I'm doomed. So anyways, the headless body's walking by. It makes it past 11 dudes, and it's still going. And the executioner at this point, man, this is his bread and butter, or this is his head and blutter because bloody get it get it so anyways he's like i can't let this guy take away my head and blutter so he trips klaus's headless corpse corpse falls into the dirt he's motionless now the people of hamburg the city council the executioner are all completely shocked but their word is their bond they told this man his dying wish if he could perform the impossible and walk past his men, whoever he walked past, would be spared. And then the city council goes, nah, stupid. So they executed all 73 men. Which at that point, the guy at the end of the line was like, oh, I am glad I was at the end of the line because I was the last one executed. But you could add a little bit of hope. They executed everybody. And to make the story even more bizarre, or put a little twist on it, the executioner is sitting there chopping these people's heads off one after another. And one of the city councilmen come to the executioner and is like, aren't you getting tired doing this? And the executioner is braggart. He's a big old braggart. He goes, I have enough energy that I can finish chopping all these heads off and then I can chop off everyone's head in Congress too. So they executed that guy too. After he ended up chopping off 73 heads, the, the town council, the leadership, the Congress of town executed the executioner for being so insolent. That he said he would have enough strength to kill everybody. Now, what's interesting is Fenris actually had, because it's a legend, Fenris had another version of it, which is slightly more believable, and and still not very, but the executioner held out a sword or an axe, and Klaus ran towards it, and then got decapitated in his body. Basically, the momentum carried it past 11 people. It still ended with everyone being executed, and still had the same amount of people. You can't run into a sword like that. Like, it's hard enough to commit suicide. It's a lot harder to do it if you're watching. Like, you would have to stop, and then you'd back up. You're like, okay, this time I'm going to do it for sure. It's very, very hard to to commit suicide, let alone run towards a sword. But anyways, both stories are impossible. The thing is, is that they actually do have a little bit of proof to one part of the story, and that was the mass execution in the 1400s, so actually a year before this supposedly happened, in the 1400s, in the Hamburg records, there is a bill. There's a bill from a gravedigger to the city. It was a bill for digging 30 Victor Brother graves. They dug them up, trying to get their money from the government. That receipt, that bill, survived all this time. So it survived six, seven hundred years, which is insane. So they do believe that Klaus was executed in Hamburg, that it was a mass execution. There's no record, physical record, of him him running towards a sword or walking or anything like that. But at least that part of the story is true. It wasn't the 73, but it does look like there was a mass pirate execution around that time. So interesting story. I really appreciate the recommendation. It's one of the stories that's definitely based on some historical fact with a little bit of legend worked into it. And it's interesting how the legend changes over time. Because all the versions I found were him getting his head chopped off, getting up and walking. That's impossible. So the story is now morphing where people who are younger, Finriz's age, they're hearing it as they're running towards the sword. That's slightly more possible, but there's no proof either happened. But still, interesting story. Nonetheless, I appreciate that very much. Melaruse, let's leave behind the dead rabbit dreadnought. 
Let's hop in the Carpenter Copter. We are headed to Canada. We're headed up to British Columbia, Canada. So let's hop in that Carpenter Copter. Let's leave behind all of our pirate clothes. You're like, I didn't bring any other clothes, bro. I'm naked. Eh, we'll, we'll give you a jumpsuit. We're going to give you an official Dead Rabbit jumpsuit. It's pretty cool. It has a big giant logo on the back. Not a Dead Rabbit logo, just like an ExxonMobil logo, because I couldn't afford custom jumpsuits. You're like, what? This is lame. <laughs> we're fine. Now we're all making fun of you for not, for not bringing enough clothes to listen to this episode. You should bring extra clothes when you're listening to this podcast. Belarus, take us up. We're flying. We're going to the year 1994. This story, this story's creepy. I was reading it on that thing about it docs.website, and I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm lucky I was able to find more information on this. It's definitely an incredibly bizarre one. Here, here we go with this. We're headed to the Dollarton Highway. That's in North Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. <laughs> Helicopters flying over. This highway. It's very busy. It's rush hour traffic time. It's 5.30 in the afternoon. It's 1994 in the month of June. <laughs> Helicopter lands. We all get out and we see a young mother sitting in her kitchen. She's cooking dinner. She's preparing dinner. Now, she's the way her apartment's situated, she's on the second floor. And she can not look out her window, but she can hear out her window. And that's where her four kids are at right now. They're not hanging outside of her window. Help, mom, help. I can't hear you. No, they're out playing in the yard. And she can hear them outside of the window. You got Susan, a little five-year-old girl. You have Edward. He's seven. Kathy, she's seven. I don't know if they're twins or not. I would assume, biologically speaking, I would assume so. But maybe she just had a real busy year. Uh, Edward, seven, Kathy, seven, and then Nathan is eight. So she definitely had a busy couple of years there. All the kids are playing out in the yard. Now, she can't see them from where she's at, but she has to make dinner. She can hear them, and she feels that's safe. Hey, Edward, throw me that ball. You got it, Susan. Yay, let's go. Come on, go for a touchdown. Go for that, yeah. It takes the mom like a minute or two to really start to realize that there's no sound coming from outside. Because you wouldn't notice it right away. Unless there was like a high-pitched argument and then it stopped immediately. Our ears get used to sounds. That's why babies freak out all the time. Because they hear every single sound and see every single color. As we're adults, and even kids have this problem too. That's why they can't sit at a restaurant and eat food. They're constantly getting distracted. As adults, we tune out so many things all the time. So it's going to take a minute or two for you to realize that there's no noise coming from outside. She has the cooking going on. She has, she's singing that jaunty tune. But then she does realize that she does not hear the kids outside anymore. Chill runs up her spine. So she runs downstairs. There's a little apartment complex. She's running downstairs, and she now sees her kids inside the complex. They're no longer playing in the yard that her apartment overlooked. They're talking excitedly, and they're a little bit terrified. They're still trying to process what's going on. The mom goes, I don't know if I told you her name yet, Karen, Karen Manning. She gets the kids, she's like, what are you guys doing in here? Like, it was weird, I heard you guys outside, and then you guys stopped. All the kids, at the same time, start telling her, 
that a flying saucer just appeared over their yard. Now, she does something weird when they mention that detail. I don't know if it makes the story fake or if it adds an air of authenticity to it. I don't know if it's something that I would do. And again, I don't think she did it. I don't think they said that and she's like, do this. But after a period of time, she's asking what happened and they're talking, they're talking, talking. She goes, she separated the kids and she said, I want you to draw what you saw. Now, that's something that a UFO investigator would do or a paranormal investigator would do. A little Larry of a mom who would do that. Mom, mom, this car just pulled up and almost tried to kidnap one of us. Okay, everyone, separate. Go into your own dark room and draw a picture of the car. Like, uh, like I mean, maybe that's a more extreme example, but she had them all draw the UFO. Now, they after they all came out of their isolation, the kid's like, I don't know how to draw. She's like, you learn perspective and then you have me a picture. After the kids come out, again, I don't know if that was a matter of minutes after they say we got abducted by UFO, she immediately banished them to their rooms, or if they talked for a half hour. But anyways, they all come back with a picture. It's the same thing. It's a traditional flying saucer. Little people inside of it. And that's when she goes, okay, these kids aren't making this stuff up. Again, see, doesn't that seem kind of harsh? But anyways, <laughs> anyways... The kids aren't making this stuff up. What did you guys see out there? Like, what exactly happened? Draw it! No, no, she didn't do it. She's like, I want you to draw. I want you to make a 32-page comic book about your adventures. This is what the kids say that they saw. It's 5.30 p.m. Rush hour traffic. Now, they're watching the cars drive by on the freeway. None of them stop. No one else saw what was going on. These kids did. And we've actually covered UFO stories like that before, where the kids are either the only people who see it or the first people who see it. This UFO is floating over the freeway, broad daylight. And it's floating over the freeway, and it comes into the kids' yard. Now, this UFO has portholes in it. Little windows that you can look out of. Little portholes in it. I mean, the space shuttle has windows, right? Even though it's flying through space, you still want to be able to, like, look out the window and be like, look out, asteroid! So, it it makes sense that it would have windows. But anyways, it has little porthole windows, and these kids are watching this UFO. It's quite close to them, because they can see a lot of detail. They're kind of frozen in place. They see at two of the portholes. Women. Human women. Both blonde women. One at this porthole, one at that porthole. Kids kind of look at each other. What? What, what is, what's going on in there? Because it's two human women, unmistakably human women. Not Nordics, not aliens, hybrids. These are human women with a terrified look in their eyes. Panic. Fear. But that's all they could really see. They can make out the expression from the eyes because their mouths were taped shut. And although they were struggling, trying to say something, they couldn't move. They couldn't speak. They could only convey the sheer terror of the situation they were in by their eyes. A door opens up on the still-hovering UFO. And a male alien figure. It's not described as a gray. It's not described as a robot, a reptilian, or anything like that. We know that he's green. So he's not human. I mean, unless you know several green people. He's green with pointy ears. 
and three eyeballs. The middle one is shining bright blue. Now the kids are starting to panic at this point. I mean, obviously, seeing a, a kids aren't stupid. You see a human in distress, you know something's wrong. I mean, maybe if you're baby dumb, you wouldn't get it. You'd be like, me, crawl on you, as the person's like, no, no, go away, there's a bomb on my chest. Kids aren't dumb. Even the five-year-old will recognize panic or fear. They'll recognize it because they'll see their older brothers or their parents get worried, and then that will make them worried as well. So they see this. The door opens up, and someone who's unmistakably alien, okay, could be someone in a costume, but he's hovering 50 feet off the ground in a giant UFO. So it's most likely an alien. What's interesting is that a great alien is, this story takes place in 1994, a great alien really became super popularized, um, not by the book Communion, that did bring that to the forefront, but shows like The X-Files really made the gray alien part of pop culture. Before that, it was Lil Green Men. So I think it's interesting these kids are seeing, and these kids weren't watching X-Files. I, can, I don't think X-Files was on June 1994. The idea of these aliens, um, these little kids seeing what they would consider an alien as green. Pointy ears is also something that's very inhuman, almost animalistic. We think of animals having pointy ears or mythological creatures like elves and stuff like that. Green, three eyes. Obviously, I don't think there's any species on the planet that has three eyeballs. None of them have glowing blue eyeballs, and again, none of them pilot UFOs. Anyway, so now they're totally freaking out. Now it makes sense. Oh, these women have been kidnapped by this giant monster who's flying a UFO. The kids kick bricks. They just start running in every direction. And what happens is, a yellow light starts chasing Susan as she's running around the yard. It is being projected from the UFO, and it's described as being a yellow light with sparkles in it. And it begins chasing her around the yard. And as she's running from it, she hears a voice in her head. We are going to pick you up and take you, is the exact quote that she remembers it saying. None of the other kids hear this. It was completely in her head. But she hears an alien voice say, quote, We are going to pick you up and take you. The beam hits her. And she says from her waist up, she was completely enveloped in the light. And then her little feet, as much as they wanted to run, slowly started to lift off of the ground. Now, the other kids see this. They don't hear the voice. But they definitely see the beam. They see their little sister floating up into the air. She says the beam felt, she described it as, quote, hot, burning, and cold. Which is an interesting combination. Yeah, you can have something that's so cold that it burns. But hot, burning, and cold, it's almost just like her nervous system is being overpowered by this thing. She gets up about six inches off the ground, and then she hears another voice in her head. Same voice as before, but this time it's saying, I'm going to let you go now the light shuts off. She falls to the ground. She was only a few inches off the ground. And then a bizarre detail, an absolutely bizarre detail to this, all the kids ate something. So they all ate something in this brief amount of time. They all, all the kids said that while this was going on, they had a meal. They don't know what they ate, but they knew what it tasted like. This is absolutely bizarre. 
It's absolutely bizarre. The um, One of them said it tasted like oranges. One of them said it tasted like curry. One of them said it tasted like rice and tomatoes. If I ever meet an alien and they put the taste of rice and tomatoes in my mouth, I will spend the rest of my life dedicated to destroying an entire alien civilization. I don't care which one. I don't care. If an alien ever came down, shot me with a beam, and made me taste rice and tomatoes, it's war. It's Starship Troopers level genocide. That's disgusting, bro. That is so gross. And then the last kid just tasted something greasy. I would much rather taste grease in my mouth than rice and tomatoes. That poor kid. That poor kid's traumatized to this day. Rice and tomatoes. Rice and tomatoes sitting in some padded room. What happened to him? Well, his sister was almost abducted by an alien. Well, that's terrifying. No, no, no. That's not even the worst part. The aliens made him taste rice and tomatoes. My God. Those bastards. Ugh. Anyways. UFO flies away. The mom is like, wait, 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 wait. Like, okay, you're telling me that you saw a UFO with two kidnapped women in it. They're like, yeah. And you ate something? They they don't know what they ate. And the weird thing is, well, the whole thing is weird. But they were super hungry after this. They're like, food, 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 food. Little Susan, who almost got captured, was like, food, food, food. They were ravenous. They were super, super hungry after this event. Even though they all said that they ate something. That kid, poor kid. Rice and tomatoes. But I don't know if that's I don't know if that's considered eating something. That's more just like eating a punishment. She had to like, oh, oh hurry up, I'll finish making dinner, blah, blah, blah. Because the kids were super hungry. Now, what happens is ending the kid's dad comes home hey kids how you doing how how was your day they're like <gasps> shaking in the corner karen's like eh, it was kind of rough and they tell the dad that story and he's like what you guys ate something and you ate rice and tomatoes i know i know he's like you bastards loading up a shotgun the whole story is creepy like there's multiple obviously if the kids are eating something and not remembering it you probably have a little bit of lost time why were they trying to abduct the little girl? Why the little girl in the first place? That's also creepy instead of the other kids. The two adult women bound and gagged on a UFO is a terrifying image. Although you'd have to say, I mean, are aliens using duct tape? Like, are they like, nothing beats good old duct tape. Like, they're using it to patch up their ship when they're getting hit by micrometeorites. Was it space tape? Who knows? Um, but definitely, I guess what they're bound with, I I guess that doesn't matter whether or not it's a hollow chain or they're just duct taped to a chair. They're still kidnapping women. The story obviously could be totally made up, right? And let me finish it actually first. Let me finish it too. So the after effects of this, Susan, little Susan was absolutely for sure that the aliens were going to come back for her. For the longest time, she 100% believed the aliens were not going to leave her alone. However, at five years old, she was a little kiddo, right? Mommy, can I get a blanket? Yes, honey, go get a blanket. Will you come with me? <sighs> yeah, I'll come with you. No, no, no. That type of thing. After this, she became very independent. Very, very strong-willed, independent girl. Her personality basically matured after this event. She started to be able to take care of herself. But her older sister, Kathy, used to be very independent, strong-willed. Now, she was terrified of ever being alone to the point that she needed 
her mom or her sister to be with her, even in the bathroom. She went backwards. Not act necessarily acting more childlike, but her fears became childlike. She became far more withdrawn. And even though she wasn't a target of the aliens, she also became petrified of what they represented. Which is... Kidnapping space pirates, right? You don't need to have any overwhelming psychological answer to that. (laughs) They're kidnappers. Nobody likes kidnappers. Is the story true? Who knows, right? It could be a bunch of, it could be a complete work of fiction. It could be a bunch of kids misremembering something. But for the sake of argument, the, what these kids saw was true for the sake of argument. It opens up a whole floodgate of things because I know a lot of people. You have people who go missing, and they're runaways. That's the bulk. That's like 80% of everyone who goes missing. They're found within the first couple weeks, month, they're runaways. Then you have people that go missing, and unfortunately, they're the victim of a crime. And those things are found out fairly quickly. And then you have people who just disappear off the face of the earth. 99.9% of the time, obviously, it's still death by misadventure, fall into a criminal act, something like that. Or got a new life somewhere. Those things are all possible. But when we start talking about the realm of paranormal, you start doing stuff like Missing 411. Or We've covered people on this show before as well who've just disappeared. Like they're on an island at night and they've never been found. It was that young girl who just kind of, and that story's creepy, just vanished. So that's when you start to, that's when people who are into the paranormal start to look at stuff like ghosts, dimensional portals, UFOs, as, as ridiculous as that stuff may sound to a normal person. To us, it's in the realm of possibility. It, what makes the story creepy is it basically combines two already creepy things. Kidnapping, people disappearing, that's just creepy, and then UFOs, aliens, a dark force in the universe that we can't stop coming here and taking humans. If you saw that happen in a car, if a car drove by and you saw two women with their mouths duct taped shut, being driven by a guy, green or not, it would terrify you. You would most likely call the authorities. But in this case, there's nothing you could do. Whether it was four kids in the yard or four adults in the yard, to see this sight would show truly how powerless we are in the face of paranormal phenomenon. And what if the ship had decided to take Susan? Decided to just suck her up into the UFO? Those kids would have run into the house. They would have told their mom. The mom would have called the police. The police would have shown up. How long do you think it would take before the police started investigating the parents for the disappearance of little Susan? They wouldn't believe that story. They wouldn't buy that story at all. They'd start investigating the parents. They'd start investigating the kids. They wouldn't go, well, I guess that's just that. Investigation's over. UFO kidnapped this girl. She simply would have disappeared. Those two other girls who were already on the UFO, whether they were hiking out in the woods by themselves, whether they were a truck stop prostitute, maybe they were just getting off their job at a yogurt shop. Who knows? It would just require them to be alone for a short enough of time to get sucked up. And as long as there were no witnesses, it would just be an unfortunate statistic. Young women disappear. Young blonde women just vanish. Start looking into it. Hit a couple dead ends. Goes into a cold case file. Had Susan been walking down the street alone, would she have been taken? 
The UFO could definitely hide itself from large groups of witnesses if no one on the freeway saw it. If only the kids saw it. So if there hadn't been three other kids there, would Susan have simply vanished? And this story would go from being a bizarrely terrifying UFO story to a true crime story. What happened to little Susan on that day in June, 5.30 p.m.? No leads, suspicion falls on the parents, but in the end, nothing is ever found. How many of our true crime stories actually have a paranormal answer? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Be safe, be kind. I love you guys, and I will see you tomorrow.